Who are your greatest mentors and what did you learn from them? My parents. I really learned that people are the most important thing. Not money, not products, not possessions, not status. It's people. And both of them had that. And that was why their store was successful. Relationships. I mean, when I, I'll post something on Facebook, maybe about my parents' store or something like that. I happen to have a lot of Facebook friends, and a lot of them are from Pasadena, where I grew up. And they always, I always get a barrage of responses of how great the store was and how great my parents were. I'm a lucky guy, had a good life, and had parents that loved me. I don't have this, you know, sad, oh, my childhood was, oh, my childhood was good. Welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi, and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Dr. Bill Salibi. Yes, it's my father. Besides being an amazing father, Doc, as I call him, has led a life that many would be envious of. Not because he's had a fancy title or insane financial success, although he's done very well in life, but because he's led a life on his terms. One that's filled with relationships and a schedule that's allowed him to be healthy and joyful. My dad has had what he calls a dual career. On one side, he's been successful in sales in the commercial relocation space. And on the other, he's been the author of four books, a college professor, and a speaker on the subject of business networking. On the show, we learn how he first found the world of networking, and he provides many tactical tips that will help anyone wanting to develop that skill. His years of experience shine through as he offers many golden nuggets that both prevent networking mistakes and create positive networking habits. We also learn why after getting his PhD in educational psychology, he decided to pursue a career in sales and how that decision helped to give him the lifestyle and family life that he's so thankful for. He also candidly shares how that same decision has caused him to think about what would have happened if he took a different path into the world of academia. This leads to a discussion on the topic of acceptance and how what once bothered him, he now recognizes as the right decision. Dr. Bill also shares some of the best sales advice he's ever been given, why he values having insatiable curiosity, and why his parents were his number one mentors. But above all else, what stands out most from this interview is the value my dad places on the relationships he has in his life. As he puts it, his success is measured by relationships, not career or business. It was truly amazing to have this deep and genuine conversation with my dad, and I sincerely hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Dr. William Michael Salibi, what a pleasure it is to have you on the show. Not only did you create me, you have played an instrumental role in molding me into the human being that I am today. So for that, I'm eternally grateful. Yes, you are my father. And when I thought about the people I wanted to have on the show, it was clear to me that you had such an impact on me 
throughout my life and still do to this day that it was obvious that you would be a guest at some point. And you have a specialty that we're going to talk about today, but we don't need to limit it to that. And that specialty is networking, specifically building a large network of people that you have strong relationships with, that you both refer them business, they refer you business. And in a lot of cases, you become friends with these people that you've gotten to know through the years, through various functions and events and networking groups that you've been associated with. You're also an author of two networking books, as well as a study skills book, uh, as, as well as a sales book. So you're an author of four books. But I, I just want to say thank you for being on the show and welcome. Thank you, Billy. I appreciate this opportunity and I'm happy to share this information because the goal for me always and kind of the rationale for doing all this is to help people be more successful. And that's kind of what drives me. And I'm happy to always to share that information because it's not privileged information, but it's meant to be shared. Love hearing that. I feel like the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree because that's uh, definitely something I relate to, which is helping people. I think the more we help others, the more fulfilled life we lead. And let's start with kind of your story. For those that don't know you, I'd love to hear your story and you know, go back as far as you'd like and tell us uh, who Bill Salibi is. Well, thank you. Yeah, my story starts back in uh, February 18th, 1948. I was born at St. Luke Hospital in Pasadena, California, born to my parents. My parents are both children of Lebanese immigrants. They were My parents were both born in the United States. So I was born in Pasadena, grew up, went to a Catholic uh, elementary school, St. Elizabeth. So I went to a Catholic elementary school for eight years. I was planning then to go to a Catholic high school in Pasadena, LaSalle High School. And I went to Marshall Junior High School for summer school before my ninth grade. And I looked around and I noticed something kind of interesting, that there were girls there. And I was scheduled to be going to an all-boys high school. And I said, I am changing my mind. <laughs> it was the first kind of major, in that I can remember, major independent decision I made. So then I went, ended up going to Marshall for ninth grade, and then I went to Pasadena High School. And nothing too eventful in high school. I played sports. I was, I was a good athlete, not a great athlete. I was a good student, not a great student. I got into, which was in those days pretty easy to get into most schools. I got into and went for the first two years to a school called the University of San Diego. And that was okay. I learned how to study there and I learned kind of how to be successful in school, but it wasn't enough. It was a small school, kind of provincial. And I decided that I wanted to go to a bigger place. So I transferred to UCLA back in 1968, uh, ended up graduating from UCLA in 1970. And as I like to tell the story, in those days, people said, if you get your bachelor's degree, and this was back in the early, you know, actually mid-60s, they said, if you get your bachelor's degree, you're set. Well, somewhere in the middle of that undergraduate year, the scenario kind of changed and they, the society said, you really kind of have to have a master's degree. So I then, after UCLA, went to a school called Cal State, it, at the time it was called uh, Cal State Hayward, and I got my master's degree in counseling. So my bachelor's degree was in psychology from UCLA, my master's degree in counseling. And as I was getting my master's degree, they, society said, well, you know, master's degree really isn't enough. You kind of have to have a PhD. So I applied to PhD programs, got accepted to the 
School of Education, specialty in educational psychology back again at UCLA, and started that program back in 1973. I was in my PhD program, and I was looking for a part-time job, and I was at the placement center at UCLA, and I saw a job advertised for what appeared to be, I didn't know, it was called Pago Pago American Samoa. Well, it's not really Pago Pago. The correct pronunciation is Pongo Pongo. I applied for that job and I actually got that job. And at the time, my wife was pregnant with my son, who happens to be you. And you, (laughs) as you well know, were born on that island of American Samoa. So I spent my year there, came back and ended up doing my doctoral dissertation on the educational problems faced by Samoan migrants here. So my PhD research was on the difficulties that Samoan migrants have when they come to the U.S. I wrote that, and then I kind of got into, I had a lot of different part-time jobs, but at that point I got into, decided, I had noticed that students really hadn't been ever taught how to study. So I developed just from scratch what I call the study skills seminar. And as I was doing the study skills seminar, people said, well, what book do you recommend? And I really didn't know what book to recommend. So I figured, why don't I just write one? So there began back, and I began writing this in probably about 1979, my first book, Study Skills for Success. So I did the, developed the study skills seminar, wrote Study Skills for Success, did all kinds of promotion on my own in the very, very early 80s. And that was quite successful. I did that for a few years. And then I I got into teaching right in the middle of, actually in the middle of my PhD program, I got my first teaching gig at Cal State Los Angeles. And the way that happened was pretty interesting. My advisor at UCLA, Charles Healy, said, Bill, would you be interested in teaching a class in counseling theory? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. He goes, I go, when does it start? He goes, tomorrow night. (laughs) And I go, "Are are you serious? And he goes, yes, at Cal State LA, it's the classes at seven o'clock. You just go out there and meet with a guy named Lauren Sauer and he'll show you where your classroom is. And thus, back in 1973, I began my teaching career. Well, my intention was to become a tenure track professor, but full-time teaching jobs were very hard to get at the time. So I decided back in about 1982, because I had worked as a mover during college, because that was a pretty good way to make money, I said to myself, self, why don't you get a job as a salesman for a moving company just in the interim? And I had no idea where that would lead. So I started doing that. And I always had what I refer to as a parallel career teaching and speaking. So all since 19, 1982 until the present, I've been in doing the moving business, selling and coordinating commercial and residential moves, mainly in the LA area. And uh, so I I did that. But what happened was at one point, the person who I worked for said, Bill, you really have to do networking. And I literally said, what's that? And he said, well, you meet with other people and you all share leads. Well, that's, I've learned since quite, quite dramatically that networking is a lot more than that. So I started doing that. And then, oh, I'm going to say, well, 20 years ago, somebody said, well, you should join this networking group. And it was a, a small, smaller networking group. I joined that. 
And then back in 2002, somebody said, because I'm a UCLA alum, they knew I was an alum. They said, we're starting a new group called Bruin Professionals. Would you like to join? And I said, yes, I'd, I'd love to join. That'd be great. So I joined that group and I realized and, and I observed that I had a real interest in this subject of networking. So that was the impetus for the first networking book, which was Connecting Beyond the Name Tag. And I wrote that back in 2009 and did that, promoted that book. And then several years later, I said, I have new ideas. The, the ideas just kept, kept coming. After I wrote the book, that wasn't like the end of it. I kept getting new ideas. So I wrote the second book, Connecting Key Networking Tips for Business and Life. And I wrote that book about five years ago and been involved. I joined another networking group oh, about 15 years ago called Provisors. So I've Right now, I'm leading uh, a networking group for provisors, and I'm leading a networking group for Bruin professionals. In that process, also, I became, for two and a half years, became the president of Bruin professionals. And I continue to get asked to speak uh, and do podcasts on networking because it remains a very interesting subject to me. And the ideas keep coming, and I'm Again, as I mentioned to you earlier, I like to help people in anything I can do. Whether I get paid for it or not, I'm happy to do. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the story. Wow. To your point, you've had sort of parallel careers. And throughout that journey, you found networking. Networking clearly has been a a, a pretty large part of the way in which you thrive in your business career and sales. And, And it's also spilled over, I'm sure, into other parts of your life. Sounds like when you first were exposed to networking based on that story, it was the recommendation of somebody else. Can you talk a little bit about that? And, and specifically, when you first started doing it, did you like it? Did you not like it? Did it make sense? Could you see how it would benefit you? And at what point did you really start to say, wait a minute, this is actually really, really positive. And was it right away or did it take some time? It took time. Initially, I think I had, in retrospect, I had the wrong idea. At the time, I thought networking is to get business, is that you get into networking and you really try and sell yourself and get business. And what I found as time went on, that it was really the opposite. When you get into networking, you should go into it with the idea of giving. And what do you have to offer? What can you give to other people? How can you make referrals to them? How can you make introductions to them? So when I got into it versus now is like 100% different. And I realized that one, one of the most important things is that it's not an immediate thing. You don't immediately get success out of it. It takes time. And my, what I've come up with is my own definition of networking, which is building mutually beneficial relationships over time. And there's a lot in that little sentence. One is mutual, is that it benefits both people. It's not just one person, but everybody gets involved, should get a benefit. Um, Relationships over time, that it doesn't happen right away, that it really takes time to build those relationships for a lot of reasons. One, so that people get to know you, like you, and and then they're able to refer you but they also have to learn about what you do. 
and that they're part of the networking process is what they call an elevator speech where you give an introduction of yourself in about 30 seconds to a minute. But when some people hear that, they don't really get what you do. So it takes time in those relationships for people to really get what you do so that they can refer you or introduce you. So it's changed a lot since I first started. And it continues to change because just the idea of how technology has increased. When I first started in sales, for example, goes way before networking. There was no such thing as the internet. There was no such thing as texting. There was no such thing as a cell phone, that a cell phone that you could take pictures with and listen to music on and search almost any type of information. And social media did not exist when I started in sales. So some of the basic components of networking have stayed the same. In other words, face-to-face interpersonal networking, some of that's still the same. But beyond that, you can build relationships. You can then connect with people for two platforms I'll use as example through LinkedIn or Facebook. And then you can actually build relationships virtually in addition to building them face-to-face. So I've observed in this period of time and in my life, tremendous changes in terms of how people connect. Part of networking remains constant, that the, the interpersonal part to some degree has remained the same, but all the other aspects have changed radically because of social media, because of cell phones, because of email and all the ways. And, you know, email is a good example where in the old days, people would almost always pick up the phone when they wanted to talk to somebody. Now that is one channel of communication, but certainly not the only one. And a lot of people don't want to have anything to do with a phone. They want, they, they, they choose to communicate electronically. I'll never forget. I had a conversation about 20 years ago. I was up in uh, the Bay Area, of San Francisco Bay Area, and I was around a lot of people who were probably in their I'm going to say they were in their late 20s, early 30s, and they were kind of high-tech people. And I remember saying, boy, if I wanted to, if I wanted to set up a, a schedule, a, a, a plane flight, I want to talk to a person. And they looked me straight in the eye and they, said, I, and they said, I'd rather not talk to a person, meaning they would rather schedule their flight electronically. Well, I'm more that way now. I can't even imagine calling up somebody to set up a flight. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I had this conversation the other day with a younger cousin of mine and, and what she shared was they don't, they don't even text anymore. They, they Snapchat. That's how they communicate. So even what we think is kind of common in, in sort of the modern day communication and, and texting, that's changing as well. And it'll, it'll continue to evolve. One of the things that you shared was an insight about networking, specifically that you, what you realize, it wasn't about what you get but, and, and what you're receiving, but rather what you're giving, which I think is a profound insight because the more you give, the more you end up receiving, but you got to think about it from a perspective of how can you help other people? And the more you help them, the more they're going to remember you, the more they're going to like you, the stronger bond you're going to have, the more trust, the better they get to know you. I mean, it stands to reason that that strengthens the bond that you have with these individuals that you're meeting. And when you help them and support them, there's that feeling of, well, I should probably help you and support you. To a degree, it's not strictly reciprocity, meaning networking is not 
I gave you business, therefore you've got to give me business. But you have to think that way to some degree. In other words, you have to think this person, for example, I get a lot of referrals for my moving business from commercial and residential real estate brokers because they do the the deals, they sell the houses or do the leases on the buildings and I do the moves. Now, I can't necessarily give them the same types of referrals because they're further up, as I was to say, further up in the food chain. They're finding out about things way before me, but I can help them in other ways. One way I help them is valuing that relationship and making sure that every time they give me a referral, that I make sure the project goes well if I get the business. So the way I see that is, yes, I can help them. I can help them, one, by doing a good job, and two, by making sure that I pay attention to that project to make sure it goes well. So when I get a referral, the very first thing I do, absolutely the very first thing I do is thank the person who gave me the referral. And then I'm aware of that, and I want to make sure that project goes well because I want that relationship to endure. And then what I can do is... I can take that person out to lunch or take that person out to dinner or give them a gift, a bottle of wine, tickets to a a ball game or something like that. So the important thing is that the value of the relationship. So, you know, a lot of people end up networking. A lot of people have success networking, but not everyone writes a book about it. What inspired you to write a book about networking? I think that what inspired me to write a book about networking is the same thing that inspired me to write a book about study skills and what inspired me to write a book about sales. I had insight about it and it's kind of who I am. When I have insight about something, I want to share that. And my channel to share that historically has been writing. The other channel I have is when I speak about it. So I think the motivation is I know something about this And I have an insight different from anybody else. And I enjoy the process of writing about it. So as I had those insights, I started writing. And then the ideas, the more I wrote about it, the more the ideas came. And and then I just continued to write about it. Let's talk about some of the insights that you have. Because you shared one, just the sheer nature of giving is an insight and, and an important one. What other insights have you had about networking that stand out as you think back and you think back to that original idea that you had to write a book? What were some of the strongest themes that you recall? Well, one theme that came before I wrote the first networking book, Connecting Beyond the Name Tag, was the difference between business and personal conversations. So, for example, when you go to a networking meeting, a lot of times people are on strictly on the business mode. So all they want to do is say, Billy, what do you do? Where do you work? What kind of business do you have? It's all business. The other kind of conversation talks more about who you are. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? What are your hobbies? What do you do for fun? So what I discovered was in order to develop relationships, you cannot stay strictly on the business mode. You have to develop personal conversations. So that's one insight is both conversations are valuable, but don't shy away from the personal conversations. Another big one that came up is the notion of whether you build your, your network deep or wide. What I mean by that is building a network deep is 
having more contact with fewer people. So for example, it would mean joining one networking group in one geographic area, going to that networking group all the time and not really expanding to other areas. So most of the networking groups I'm in, they have multiple chapters. So a person has the choice about whether, and it really depends on what you do. So if your business can be done anywhere, then it makes sense to develop your network wide. My moving business, for example, I can do anywhere. So it makes sense for me to go to different geographic areas and go to different groups to build my network wide. And also the other way you do that is through social media, having a lot of social media contacts through whatever platform, whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is. And then building your network deep would mean if your work is geographically confined. So for example, if you, if a person is a family law attorney in Glendale and 95% of their clients are in Glendale, it doesn't make sense for them to say, well, I think I'll, I think I'll be a guest at an Orange County networking meeting because the chances of you getting business there are minimal. So the, the wide, deep uh, component of networking is, is really, really important. The other one is, is the basic, which is show up. You've got to show up and you've got to show up consistently. A long time ago, someone said to me, well, you know, Bill, you don't really need to go to this group anymore because everybody knows what you do and they're going to refer you. And I said, no, that's not true. If I stopped going to the meetings, people over time would forget about me. They'd say, well, I know there's a guy that does moving, but I forget his name and I don't I haven't seen him for a while, so I'll just refer someone else or I won't refer anybody at all. Showing up, very, very important. I know there's a lot of times where I kind of maybe don't want to go to an event. There's an event at night, I'm kind of tired. I go anyway. I'll say 95% of the time or more, I get something of value out of it because I showed up. And sometimes it's multiple. I'll get multiple referrals or multiple introductions because I showed up. So that's at the real fundamental level. Another insight, which is real basic, but it's, it's really important, is the notion of likability. So it's important to be good at what you do. It's really important to be, to, to be competent in what you do. But people may not refer you if they don't like you. So likability is a key component. Are you a good listener? Are you positive? Do you smile? Do you pay attention to what they're talking to you about? So those are some of the really, really key things that I've discovered and continue to discover. Yeah. And I think it it makes sense that all of the insights combined made it something that you felt would be powerful to share. And I know there's, there's a lot more to it, but let's, let's dive in and talk a little bit about the network meeting itself. And you talked about likability, you talked about showing up, which of course, if you don't show up, then you're really not networking at that point. You're pretending to network. When you do show up, give us some tips you know, somebody just joining a networking group, what would be your advice to them to make sure that they are maximizing their efforts? One of the first things is they have to have, for better, lack of a better term, an elevator speech or an elevator pitch. So 
when the leader of the networking group says, everybody's going to get an opportunity to stand up for 30 seconds or 45 seconds or whatever they say, a minute, and they're going to say what they do. So, so the first thing other than showing up is you've got to have that prepared. So when you stand up, it's got to be concise. It's got to be clear. It should be memorable. And it may be something you have to work on a while before that's good. So you got to have that in your back pocket. So when you get that opportunity to stand up, you do a good job of that. But before that, even when you get to the networking meeting, it helps. It makes sense to show up early so that you get comfortable. You may even be the first person there. You kind of get to meet everybody as they come in. As you have the conversations with people, one of the first skills come in. Are you a good listener? Listening is more important than talking. You got to be able to talk. If somebody says, well, what about you? Then you got to be able to say, what about you? Something about you. But before that, as you talk to people, if you have a genuine curiosity and you are genuine as a person, then people are going to like you and that's going to help you as they get into the meeting. So the meeting itself, every, every group's a little different, but most networking groups give people the opportunity to, to give that elevator speech that, or introduction. It's really an introduction. And another key component of networking is what they call testimonials. So that's when people thank other people publicly. But not all networking groups have that, but most of them do. You should be prepared for that and make sure that if somebody does give you something, you thank them. Pay attention. Uh, Again, it gets back to listening. One of the spins I put on it is in order to be successful in networking, you've got to be interested good listener, and you've got to be interesting. So it's a combination. And the people that have have a high level of both are successful. People that are genuinely interested, they pay attention, they listen. But when it comes to them, they're actually interesting. And they have something to say. And they're prepared to say it. So if someone asks you the question, or if you are in a networking group, I have in my, in my last book, Key Networking Tips, I have about 30 activities or exercises that I have used and other networking group leaders have used. They borrowed from me. So they'll have activities within the group. You don't know what they're going to be sometimes. And somebody will say, well, what we're going to do today is this. We're going to do, uh, we're going to, for example, one common one is say something unique and unusual about you. So you should have, you should Think about that. If somebody asks that question, what would you say about yourself that makes you unique and unusual? Or another one I did in my group, which was a lot of fun, is we, it was on nicknames. And everybody in the group shared a nickname they had been called at some point in their life. So when those activities come up, participate. And the idea is people get to know you. The basic networking paradigm is this. Know, like, trust, refer. No, that's K-N-O-W. No, like, trust, and refer. So you've got to know somebody, know what they do. You got to like them. The more you like them, the better. Trust them. What does that mean? That means you've heard or you get the sense that they do a good job. And if all those are present and the ethos of a networking group is we share business, then you're going to be motivated to make a referral to them. Yeah. So it sounds like a few things that stand out there. Not only do you show up, but show up early, 
show up early, ready to listen, ready to share your elevator pitch, ready to participate, right? So if there's an activity, you're you're prepared to participate. And then, yeah, be ready to refer if the if the opportunity presents itself, be ready to share if you have somebody in mind that would be a, a good referral for the other people that you're meeting. So let's let's peel back that onion a little bit and talk about the elevator pitch. Let's hear your let's hear your elevator pitch. You're at a networking meeting. Just as an example, what do you say? Well, I'll tell you, but I'll, I'll preface it by saying one thing, and that mine is different every time. So my my elevator speech is not memorized or the same every time. Some people have one specific elevator speech, and and they use it all the time. But one that I've used quite a bit is I'll, I'll start by saying my name. Hi, my name's Bill Salibi. I work for Mover Services. I handle both commercial and residential moves. And as an example, one of the moves I'm doing is I'm moving a firm called Vista Entertainment from Mid-Wilshire to Beverly Hills this weekend. And so, so in other words, I say what I do. I say the company I work for. And if I've got a project, give an example. I give an example That's right smart. away. Yeah. And for some people, they'll go, "Oh wow, you're doing, you're moving both of those companies. You got some stuff going on." But I don't always do that. And that I've used all kinds of different ones. And I say, do you end with the example, or do you wrap it up in some other way? I'll end with the example. It kind of depends on how long the leader gives people to do the elevator speech. So if the leader of the group, I happen to lead a couple of groups, so I don't really put too much of, I'll tell them, keep it brief. So let's say I have 30 seconds, then I'll, I'll say less. If I've got a full minute, I may say a little bit more about what I do. Like I said, mine changes because that's just the way I do it. I don't, I don't memorize it or do the same thing every time. And nor do I say that it has to be, I don't believe that you have to do the same one every time or that you have to change it every time. You have to find out what, what you're comfortable doing. Well, I think if you're at the same group, my guess is it would probably be advisable to have it a little bit different so it doesn't sound like a broken record, the exact same thing. And you want to be authentic and genuine and it shouldn't feel too formulaic or too scripted, probably more extemporaneous or natural would be my my assumption. Right. But let's say you have a little bit longer and just for those listening that may want to kind of prepare and have their own elevator s- speech ready what would be some other suggestions? So again, your, your name, what you do, the company you work with, the service that, that you are product that you offer and, and, and kind of maybe give an example of that. What you else? Can, well, you can talk about what you feel to be your strengths. You could say, I respond very quickly. I, I get back to people within, within 12 hours. I get their proposal to them within a couple of days. So you can then highlight some aspect of what it is about how you work so people will get the sense that you're qualified. But let me back up a little bit and talk about that before the meeting, the networking meeting actually starts, you have, you're going to have a period before that time when you do what we call open networking, where you just kind of, you talk to one person, you've got your name tag on, they've got their name tag on, maybe you've got your coffee or something to drink and you talk to that person, but there are other people there. I want to point out another common thing that a misconception about networking and that is that you feel that you've got to mingle so i'm talking if i'm talking to you for let's say a minute and someone else is there someone else is 10 feet away from me 
I wouldn't say to you after 30 seconds, Bill, Billy, I got to mingle. Because, uh, you know, in other words, you don't want to rush the conversations you're in, especially, especially when you're talking to someone who you really feel is going to be a little more valuable as a connection as someone else might be. So if, if I'm talking, for example, there, there is a hierarchy to some degree. If I'm talking to a commercial real estate broker that I'm meeting for the first time and they're very interested in what I'm doing and it's very clear that they're going to be able to refer business to me, I don't got to mingle. I got to talk to that person. It could be one and done, yeah, right? Yeah, it could be one and done. And, or the other thing that happens in groups is that, like you mentioned, friendships develop. At this stage in my career, would rather talk to somebody I already know and build that relationship stronger. I'm going to talk to the new person, but I'm not at the beginning stages in my career where I feel like I've got to hand a business card out to everybody in the room. I'd rather go deep and talk to a few people and enjoy those conversations than feel like I've got to give a business card and get a business card from all 50 people that are in the room. So that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is I got to mingle. You don't got to mingle. Maybe you got to stay talking to the person you're talking to. Right. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, I think we often are trying to maximize every second that we have in that could lead to us really compromising the strength of the relationship we're building with the person that we're talking to right away. Not to mention that when your eyes start wandering and you're looking around the room, figuring out who the next person you're going to talk to, what does that say to the person you're talking to? It devalues that conversation and that, and that bond that's being built and being formed. So what do you say to someone who says, I know I should be networking. I know I should be doing it but I, I just don't want to, or I don't know how to act or what to do. Somebody that has resistance to networking, because I think a lot of times people hear networking and they hear, oh, I don't want to go to this networking meeting. They may not be as inclined to want to do it. What advice or suggestions do you have for that kind of person? Well, the first thing that, that comes to mind with that is, are they an introvert? Is that why they don't want to do it? I mean, I would really kind of be curious why they don't want to do it. Do they not want to do it because they don't think they're going to be successful at it? Do they not want to do it because they're really an introvert and the idea of going into a large group is really scary to them? And I get that. So quiet people, introverts, are, are one category of people. So what I would say to them, as an example, is if we had a conversation, I'd say, and I know it's probably a little bit scary and I know it's probably not your favorite thing to do, but there is a way you can do this to be successful. And the way they do it can be more successful is Find somebody that you can talk to. And if you're comfortable talking to them, even more so, stay in that conversation. Don't try and talk to everybody, but treat it kind of more as a one-to-one. Even though there's 50 other people in the room, feel like you're having several one-on-one conversations with the various people. So that's one thing I would do. And the other thing is if they are, are more resistant, I would say beyond that, say if you have a good conversation with somebody, get their card and call them up and see if they want to have coffee. So so you're again, you've made it more of a one-to-one conversation. What a lot of networking groups do is they break people up into troikas of groups of three, and then they meet for coffee or breakfast or lunch, and they get to know, they get to know people better. They don't really like that large group. So not everybody likes that large group, uh, you know, 
conversation. It's, it's certainly not for everybody and it certainly favors the extrovert, but that's not the only way to network. Large group networking is, is only one component and one type of networking. It's the building of the relationships, which can take place outside of the, the big meeting or the party or the, you know, the social event, which they, some people don't like to do. Um, a lot of people don't like to do. So it really depends on the, what is the genesis of their reluctance? If it's, I'm shy, that's one issue. If, if it's, I don't, you know, it's a party and I don't drink, so I don't feel comfortable in a, in a networking event at night where alcohol is being served. You have to find out what it is. And then once I know what it is, then I would, I would tailor my response to, to that. Based on the individual. Yes. That makes sense. What are some of the misconceptions that you hear or, or think people have about networking? I think the first one is that it'll happen right away. So I think the first misconception is that you're going to get business right away. It's not, it's not going to happen that quickly. Another misconception is networking. One guy, uh, somebody said to me once, I don't like networking because I don't like being phony. And I said, well, that people that are successful in networking are genuine. They're not phony at all. So I think, I think that notion of either one, you've got to be an extrovert. You got to be really gregarious. You don't have to be, to be successful. You could be quiet. You could be an introvert. And secondly, that yeah, it's, there's something phony about it. I don't think there is at all. I think you can be a hundred percent genuine or that it's going to happen too quickly. So I think those are, those are some of the main, or that, you know, another one is that it has to be reciprocity. In other words, well, this person gave you a referral and they happen to be a financial advisor. Therefore, if they gave you a referral, you have to use them as your financial advisor. No. What if you're getting referrals from a number of financial advisors? You're going to pick one of them, or hopefully you'll pick one of them to be your financial advisor or whatever it might be, your person who does your will or whatever it is. So I think those are some of them. The other one I, I alluded to earlier, or actually stated, is the idea that the conversations have to be all business. They don't. In fact, the way you build a relationship, as I mentioned, is to get into the personal stuff. And that's the way. And if you build the personal relationship, the stronger that personal relationship is, as you mentioned, you become friends with those people. And I have, I didn't get into networking because I wanted or needed new friends, but I have developed a lot of new friends through networking just because over time you spend time with people, you like them, you say, you know, you ride a bicycle, I ride a bicycle, ride, take a ride together, play golf, take a walk, whatever it is, then you do something totally outside of the networking realm. I've seen in my networking group, some people have hiking groups out of it or wine tasting or a variety of things that they do that is on a social level and they really deepen the relationships. But then you also have to remind people when you do that, by the way, you know, I'm a mover you know, you got to move. I'll be happy to help it. So you sometimes if you, if you get too much into the personal, you got to get back and remind people that, yeah, there's a business component here and I'd like, still like to help you. And maybe if you find out about anything that I could be useful for, not just a referral, but an introduction, you find out somebody does something similar. I had it just the other, uh, 
two days ago, I was talking to uh, one of my customers that's going to be doing a move in a few weeks. And they said, well, I'm not sure when my move is because I'm having problems with my cabling for my new building. And I said, well, if you need help, uh, a friend of mine does that and I'll send you her name. And the woman who I was dealing with said, I'm happy to have that. So I, I, ref- I sent her the name of the person and they, they have been in contact. And I was happy to do that. I was happy to refer my friend who's also referred business to me. It feels good. I oh, mean, yeah. And that's the thing is this is a, a fulfilling thing to do is to actually refer and think about. It just shows that you're thinking about that other person. It's like when you get a phone call from somebody, immediately you're like, well, this person was thinking about me. And same thing, if you get a referral or somebody takes the time out of their day to connect to people, that that shows that they care, that shows that they're thinking about the other people. So, you know, obviously networking has, has played a major role in your business. I wonder if you tried to quantify how much it's helped you in terms of business. What percentage, I don't know if you could do this, but what percentage of your business do you think's come from networking? That's part one of my question. Then part two of my question is more for others which is, is networking for everyone? Or if not, who do you think are the people that would most benefit from networking? I would say, first of all, it's helped most of my business now comes from networking. And I almost have to do no selling because I'm already pre-sold. So the people who are referring me say, you got to call Bill. He's the only guy you should call. He does a, his, you know, does a great job. His company does a great job. They said, they'll give me a call said, you know, Bill, so-and-so referred you, you become highly recommended. I don't have to go through what I used to do when I first started in sales is kind of sell and really convince them that they should use my company. So that's, that's what it's been for me, massive help. But it's also just become a way of life for me. And I've enjoyed it. I enjoy it because it's, it's enriched my life with relationships. I think anybody who's in business development can benefit from networking. So if if your job is business development, networking will be beneficial to you. If you have zero amount of time and you're not in business development, it's still worthwhile to build a network because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know you uh, because sometimes a network it's not just for getting business. Let me let me clarify that. Networking is also, for some people, they get into networking because they are looking for people to refer to. They're not really looking for any more business. They're, they're a lawyer and they're, they're conflicted out of certain kinds of jobs so that they need to meet lawyers who have very, very different specializations for them, from them so that they can refer to those other people. So that's, that's really important. Or you get into networking when you have a job but the networking really isn't for when you have a job, but you've built these relationships. And if for some reason you need a job, then you already have the relationships and people are willing to help you. So it's not just for people who are in business development. I mean, networking is both at a business level and a personal level, is that you, you have a network. I've got several networks. I've got my network of, for example, I've got my network of high school friends, I've got my network of old friends. I've I've got a you know I've got my network of of brewing for professional friends, provisors friends, all those kinds of things that all provide benefit to me but it also provides benefit. I know that if somebody said 
do you, Bill, do you know a family law attorney? My first question is, well, what kind do you want? Do you want one who's on the collaborative end, or do you want one, as I refer to, it's kind of demeaning. Do you want one as on the, the what they refer to as the um, scorch and burn, meaning they're really going to be aggressive. And if they, depending upon what, because because through my networking, one of the great benefits, in addition to business, is I've met so many people. I've learned so much about business. For example, when I started in networking, I didn't know the difference between an IP attorney and a PI attorney. IP meaning intellectual properties and PI meaning personal injury. Now I know probably at least 10 to 15 people or more who do both types of law just because I've been networking so long. You know, that doesn't have an immediate benefit. It's just, you know, a lot of people and then it, it does come up. Somebody says, well, my friend's going through a divorce. Do you know any family law attorneys? Sure. Happy to refer them. I may not know who's the best. I may know based upon what I hear who's good. What you're talking about is really being a connector, which is a valuable thing to be. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that and the importance of it. And, you know, there's connectors in your life. You yourself are a connector. How has it helped you? Well, I think, first of all, the word connecting happens to be the beginning of both of my last two books, because I think that's the key is that is really one of the keys to networking itself is you have to make a connection to someone. That's what it really involves. But so one is the making the connection. The other is being a connector. And the more people you know, the more you're able to be a connector. And when you hear somebody say something, you'll say, you know, maybe you're interested in meeting so-and-so. I'm interested in doing this. Do you know any people who do it? So that you're motivated to be a connector. So the more people you know, the more you're able to connect. But it, you got to be motivated. And I think the motivation is, just as you said earlier, it feels good. You're happy to do it. Wow, I didn't know these two people had anything in common. Or what happens, what's fascinating to me is on social media, it happens all the time. It happens once a month where I'm Facebook friends with somebody and I see that someone else is connected to someone I know, I'll ask them. I mean, for example, I was traveling, uh, I was on a Danube cruise and I was on Facebook and I saw that two people I knew were connected and I asked them, well, what, how are you connected? How do you know Danny? How do you know John? Oh, well, my wife is a cousin of his wife and so then I'll send an, because I have an insatiable curiosity for things like this, I'll send them an email and say, I found out that you two were connected to one another or, you know, whatever it is to further my interest or show my interest in what this, in what this connection is. So I'll always ask, what is the connection between the people? Yeah, no, it is interesting to learn about mutual friends and, and also how people have connected that you may know both of them and how the, how they connected. It's always fascinating. Even when you're on social media and you're like, wow, you know this person and they're from two different worlds. Well, it happened uh, for, uh, not that long ago. The guy was in my Bruin Professions, my UCLA networking group, and he had a move. And he said, are you related to Billy Salibi? And I said, yeah, he's my son. He says, oh, I was in a uh, uh, child, you know, childbirth class with Billy and his wife. Then I contacted you and said, do you know this guy, Al? Yeah, I know this guy, Al. And for me, that's part of the fun of it. It sure. has nothing to do with business in those cases. It's just 
to kind of see how people are kind of interconnected with one another. Right. There's often very few degrees of separation that exist between us. Right. Especially in the same city. So we talked about some of the qualities that it takes to be successful as a networker. You talked about listening. You talked about being genuine. You talked about giving. What else? What else stands out? If you were to list some of the qualities or attributes, characteristics of an individual who would be successful networking, what are those? I think consistency. I think you have to show up consistently. And the people who show up the most consistently, because the networking groups I'm talking about have monthly meetings, the more you show up, the better. So consistently showing up is really important. I mentioned genuineness, being real. I think being real, curiosity, wanting to know about people and building. I think the other thing is you build on what you know. So for example, if I meet somebody and I'm learning about them and let's say I I say, you know, I'm talking to Sue and I say, how you doing, Sue? What's up? What's going on? She goes, oh, I'm taking a, I'm doing a college trip with my son, Bobby. And I go, I pay attention to that. I listen to it. And then uh, where are you going? We're going to the Northwest. We're going to look at University of Washington, University of Oregon. So I see Sue a month later. Good networking is saying, uh, Sue, how did the how did the college trip go with Bobby? Which one does he like best? Oh, I like University of Oregon. The bad networking skills are, Sue, do you have any kids? So I've missed the whole thing. I forgot, totally forgot that she'd had this conversation. So what you want to do is you want to pay attention to what people tell you and you build from time to time. It could be a lot of information, but if you pay attention to it and say, and, and you have, maybe you're going to be a little bit selective. You're saying, I'm not going to do that with every single person I meet. But some of the people that I consider to be my A-list, people that I really want to learn about, I am going to pay attention to that. And I'm going to ask them, I had this one, and it could be something else. I In some cases, it's their animals that is their big deal. They don't have kids, but they've got German shepherds. And they talk about their dogs. Well, you know, it could be something stupid, but it could be like, did you watch the Westminster show? Oh, yeah. You know, the the German Shepherd won in this category. And or I see that and I I may say, did you watch this show or did you, you know, what, you know, whatever it is that you paid attention to that you learned about them, that then you build. So good networking, you build on the conversations, you build the relationship, you are willing to say, we've had breakfast, we've had lunch, you want to have dinner, or do you want to go there? This place has got a great happy hour. They have, they play jazz or whatever it is. Do you want to join me there? Sure. So you do something to build and nurture the relationships. And you're always paying attention to what you can do to help people. Great advice. Speaking of advice, if you met somebody, they're just getting started in networking, they're brand new to it, what advice would you give them to set them on the right trajectory to be successful networking? I'd have them read my books, first of all. Naturally. <laughs> I would find out what they do. And I think there's a couple things that would determine what I would tell them. I'd find out what they're, how much time they have. And secondly, perhaps money. So the one group I'm in, Provisors, is, is expensive. It's I mean, relatively expensive. Some would say very expensive. It's $1,800 a year. So for somebody just starting out in business, I wouldn't automatically recommend that as a group. 
I would find out, I know a lot about a lot of different networking groups. I'd find out what it is that they're trying to accomplish, what their reach is, that idea, are they a local person? Do they, are they, or are they looking for business everywhere? And then I would give them some advice based on their situation, their financial situation, their amount of time they have, the nature of their business. And then I would make a, re- a recommendation um, about what they should do, how much they should do it, and what they should expect about it. That's really smart. I think giving advice for advice's sake blindly is almost counterproductive. If you don't know what their goals are, if you don't know what they do, it's very difficult to tailor the advice for that person as an individual because it may be that they need to join a certain type of networking group, or it may be that they, you know, you're going to have a follow up question as a result of understanding what they do in their business, and therefore you can tailor your advice specific to that person. So, what mistakes have you seen people make? I mean, clearly, you talked about consistency and just showing up. That right there is gold because what I hear and what I see is, oh, I did networking, it didn't work, right? Or I tried it. But like, that's not anything. Trying it is probably the recipe for failure. So what would you, or what have, so what have you seen when it comes to people making mistakes in networking? Well, I think the first, one of the things they do is they talk too much. They, they just, they're motor mouth. They, they're just talk, 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 talk. And that's a turnoff to people. So I think one thing is they talk too much. They don't listen enough. Another one is when someone asks them what they do, they don't have a clear, crisp, concise answer about what they do. And if they say something to someone about what they do and they don't understand it, they don't correct or explain in the proper way. So I think their, their messaging is, is, is one example. And, and you, said, you, you said it right there is they have the attitude that if it doesn't work right away, I'm going to quit. Networking didn't work for me. Well, then you don't get what networking is. It does take time. And you never know when you're going to be in the right, you're going to be in the right group. Let me tell you a story. When I first was going to join uh, Provisors, uh, at the time, Provisors was called Professional Networking Group, PNG. This was back in the, um, the late 90s, uh, very late 90s. And I was trying to join. I had not written any networking books. I was not an expert on networking. And I was, and as I am now, in the moving business. And I went to join Provisors and Provisors said, no, can't come in. Why can't I come in? Well, because you're a vendor. You're a mover. In other words, what they're really saying is you're not high enough quality. You're not a lawyer. You're not an accountant. You're not a professional. Well, okay. But there were a couple of other people I knew through my other networks that said, that's ridiculous. You should get in. Let me see what I can do. So I went to another group, met a guy named Rob Klein, who was a leader of one of the provisors groups. We had lunch. He liked me. He said, I want you to be in my group. I said, well, provisors had told me that I'm a vendor and I'm not qualified. He said, no, it's not what you do that's important. It's who you are that's important. So I think but that turning that into knowledge of people is hopefully people who are new to networking have enough self-esteem that they're not going to be deterred by people that tell them, I don't want you to be in this group. You can't be in my group. 
you either don't have enough qualifications or you don't have enough money or whatever it is. Eventually then that became kind of interesting because I wrote the book and the second book on networking. And one of the founders of Provisors said to me after he saw my first book, after I'd already been in Provisor for a while, he said, it's a book I should have written. I said, well, I beat you to it. What a great story. And it really, I love that line. It's not what you do, it's who you are. What that's that's powerful. So when we think about, you know, you, you're someone I know very well, and I know that you have a lot of habits, a lot of rituals. Some would call you obsessive compulsive. <laughs> um, that's an understatement. But 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 it, but it actually served you very well in life, and I'm sure in networking. So let's talk. Let's talk about networking first, and maybe we could dive into some of the other pieces of your life and and move beyond networking. But let's talk about rituals and habits and how they've played a role in your networking. Okay, so one is just I show up regularly. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm very regular about what I do. I'm very consistent about what I do. So I show up all the time. So that's one of the- So you practice what you preach. I practice what I preach. Rituals, I try and get, to, as I mentioned, I try and get to the meetings early. Initially, I think part of my OCD was I would attend, I would go to a lot of meetings. I would guest a lot of meetings. So my- Ritual would be, I've got to look every month, I've got to look at the calendar and see what meetings are available. Because you can guess, you can, you can go as a guest to the various meetings. So that is a, a, one of my habits is to always be figuring out where I have time so I can go to these events, meetings, social events, whatever they are. So I think that's a habit that I've gotten into that's, been, that's served me very well. I show up. When, when we have a troika after meeting, I show up for those. I, I always show up. I try and learn. Another one is, and I didn't always do this because it wasn't, we weren't able, before LinkedIn, we weren't able to do this. But now I find out about people before I meet with them. So if I've got a troika with somebody, you know, where there's three, two other people, I want to find out where they went to school, exactly what their specialization is, so that when I meet with them, I don't have to say, what do you do? I already know, have a pretty good idea what they do. Then I can ask a higher level question and accelerate my knowledge of what they do. So those are some of the things. And then as a group leader, I have my own, as leading a group, I have my own rituals. And those were mainly, those really came from the, my experience of being a teacher. So I was a college professor for, for many, many years and I run a meeting I run a networking meeting in a way somewhat similar that I would run a class. So I, there's, there's habits I have about how I start a meeting, how I elicit conversation from people, how I facilitate a group process that are all part of my own ritual as a teacher slash leader. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you've drawn from that experience and you've applied it to the networking work that you do today. So let's shift gears a little bit and want to kind of get into to you and 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 talk a little bit more about maybe some of the things that they might be networking related, they might not be. And so let's start with some challenges. Um, you know, you you've led a life that a lot of people looking at would just be very envious. You you have um, you know, a successful business, you have uh, a family that you love and that you care about and, the, and that they love and care about you. I'm sure along the ways, there's been some bumps in the road. Uh, what, what would you 
if you were to look back and think of maybe a failure or a challenge that's, that's occurred in your life, what are some of the ones that stand out and how did you overcome them? Well, some people would say divorce is a failure. I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a challenge. I see the ending of relationships or the altering of relationships as all certainly a challenge, certainly a change in how one was living before that happened. So I would say those were challenges, relationships that changed and ended. I think people I've known who have died, uh, family members is, is a challenge. I've been blessed with good health, continue to have good health. So health really has not been a challenge. I think uh, another challenge was, uh, and one of the areas I felt less than what I wanted to be was the amount of money I made. And I've, I've struggled with that because I, I think historically society has, has judged people, has evaluated people based upon their net worth, how much money they had. And I felt that that wasn't my strength. But then I've also looked at it and said, well, but it isn't really what I aspired to. So maybe I haven't worked the, certainly have not worked the nine to five job ever, except, well, one time I did back years and years ago when I was uh, out of high school, I worked at the welfare department in a nine to five job. I hated it. I hated the fact of having to be at a particular place. So challenges, as I mentioned, not being accepted by something, an early challenge, which I considered way, way back. And that was in high school when I ran for student body vice president. Didn't win. At the time, it was devastating. And I thought, I should have won that election. I didn't win the election. My best friend got what ran for student body president and won. And being, you know, not, certainly didn't have level of maturity or self-esteem. I didn't deal so well with that. But in retrospect, those were all learning experiences. The way I see it is everything we go through kind of leads us to where we are. And now I don't work nearly as many hours as I used to work. I still work hard. I, I work very efficiently. And some people would envy that. They'd say, well, you work, but you work part-time. I go, yeah, I figured it out. So I'd say challenges were things I didn't get. Uh, another example is in sales. I didn't get every job I went after. I've gotten some great, fantastic deals, and I've lost some big deals. In the old days, I would, and what I've learned from it is, in the old days, I would spend a lot of time focusing on the deals I didn't get. I would lament when I lost a move. Now, but at one point I realized that I should be focusing on the business I have, not on the business I didn't get. Wow, and that's, I that's, that's important. And I recently, I've, I've been, I'm a golfer, and I've recently read a number of books probably half a dozen books on the psychology of golf. And one of the ones that I read is called Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. It's a great book by a guy named uh, Dr. Bob Rotella. And what he says, and I think it's profound, he said, one of the biggest mistakes golfers make is they spend so much time thinking about the bad shots and not enough time thinking about the good shots. And what you have to learn to do is when you're done with a game or you're done with practicing, try and make the memory for the good shots stronger than the memory for bad shots. And the same is true in life. Same is true in relationships. 
you know, do you spend your time thinking about the thing you said that was wrong or do you spend your time thinking about the thing you said is right? I mean, I can still think of things I've done and things I've said that I said, what the hell was I thinking when I said that or did that? But I learned. I, you know, I say I don't make those kinds of comments anymore because I've learned. And and one of the biggest things I've learned that is informing my life now is not to be critical or to be as not yeah, not to be critical, not to be negative, and not to gossip. And and I think I spent too much time, especially when my life wasn't quite going the way I wanted, to criticize people whose life were was going well. People that somehow were getting the jobs I wasn't getting or getting the full-time jobs. I mean, the one great uh, thing, I mean, the thing I think about a lot is I did not end up being a full-time tenure-track professor where I was working at the same university for 20, 30 years. And at one point that bothered me. I said, well, you know, I ended up working for a moving company. Well, on some level that sounds like lower level. In reality, I think back on it and I said, I know that I would not have wanted to teach five sections of Psych 1 for 30 years. I would have been bored out of my mind. And I'll say, you know, my life's been many things, but one thing it's been is interesting and varied. Very few people have dual careers and live in two different places. That's kind of been what I've done. And I think with maturity has been more acceptance of the kinds of things that I wouldn't have accepted early on in my career. Yeah, a lo- lot of great things you just said. I, I love the insight you pulled from that book, right? Like we often obsess over the bad shots, whether that be in life or in golf, right? And then we don't spend enough time thinking about the good shots and visualizing and, and really thinking back about what you did that was great I just love that. That's that's so powerful. And then the other piece is we are a product of our experiences, good or bad, and they make us who we are today. And we learn, right? We learn along the way. We learn through our mistakes. We learn through our pitfalls. We learn through experience. And it's not always going to be the greatest and most perfect experience. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's gut-wrenching. And often those are the times where we gain the most, which is Amazing. The other thing, the other thing I've learned and I've tried to practice is not to have a big ego and not to brag and to let other people tell me that I've done a good job. I mean, I've been running groups and teaching for over 40 years and I know, I know I'm good at it, but I don't think, I don't focus on I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then when people, I had a meeting yesterday and people afterwards said, I loved the meeting today. But that meeting, for me to run a meeting like that, Every bit of experience that I've had and every bit of confidence that I have based on those experiences has has allowed me to do that. I couldn't have just done that when I first started. So I'm not looking, nor do I need that kind of feedback to say that, you know, you've been a good brother, you've been a good son, you've been a good dad, you've been a good uncle, whatever it is. I hope and I try to be good in those things, but I don't, it's not what I focus on. I need, you know, I don't need the validation because I, think I have a level of self-esteem. But some people would evaluate. Some people say, oh, wow, you've written four books. That's really great. I'd like to write my first. And in my years ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm envious of the guys who've written 20 books that are my age. So I used to always 
in some ways feel less than because I felt my accomplishments were less than. And yet with some people would say, wow, what you've really accomplished is you're able to, well, for example, I was I was skeptical of why am I still in the moving business? And someone said, well, one reason you're still in the moving business is because it allows you the freedom and it allowed me a freedom when you were younger <laughs> to spend time with you. Great thing. I'm glad I was able to do that. A lot of dads who have these really strict jobs. Demanding. Demanding jobs wouldn't have been able to do that. So on one level, you know, maybe I don't have that bank account, you know, $20 million bank account or whatever, you know, but that's not, again, that's not what I've aspired to. And sometimes you do things and the whole networking thing certainly was not something that when I was young, I said, I want to be a networking expert. It's just something that evolved. It's the way my life has evolved. And, and it's something I do and I continue to do, but it's not necessarily what I'm going to do. I mean, I did the study skills thing for about five years and it was for the time considering that I did it from nothing was very, very successful. But after five years, I was kind of done with it. Networking thing seems to have had a longer life and you know, I'm not doing it now because I want to make money out of it. Somebody said, well, Bill, what you really ought to do is this if you want to, eh, not interested. I mean, I, I'm doing it for the value, the inherent value that it that presents. And it makes you feel good. Makes me feel good. Yeah. So in a moment, we're going to move on to the lightning round, which is a series of quick hitting questions and putting you in situations to get your gut reaction. Before we do, I do want to dive in and and really talk about any other insights that you've had throughout your life. So if you, if you think back and you reflect and you really look at the pivot points in your life that have made you who you are today. And when I say that, what I really mean is when you have a sudden or deep realization about something that just clicked where you just said, wow, I get it now. And, and it could be anything. It doesn't have to be tied to networking. It could just be anything. When you look back and you say, this was a life-changing, maybe transformational event that happened, what are those? And, and, and you, you could give me one, you could give me two, maybe just whatever comes to mind when you think about those insights that you had. What what stand out as you think now? Okay, well, one was when I first got into sales, my parents had a toy store when I was a kid and we had people that would sell them toys, salesmen who would sell them toys. And there was one guy named Jeff Miller who worked for a company called Federal Wholesale and he sold, he sold toys to my parents. And when I first got into sales, I asked him, I said, Jeff, I'm new in sales. Is there any advice you can give me? He said, yeah. I said, what? He says, if you screw up, admit it. And I said, really? That's the advice you give me? He goes, yeah. If you make a mistake, admit it. Very, very profound information. That's affected me in a lot of ways. The moving business is imperfect. Mistakes happen. People are late. People don't show up. I rely on other people. I have found if I make a mistake or if my company makes a mistake, apology and admitting the mistake is a great way to solve the problem and to to move on from the problem. That was very profound. I, I think the other one, which I alluded to earlier, is is just accepting the way things have gone, accepting the path that my life has taken. Because I've historically in my life, I have kind of wished 
things were a little bit different in some ways. You know, I wished I was um, taller. I wished I had these days, I wished I had more hair. I wished I, you know, was a better golfer. You know, a lot of things I wish. Now I'm at the stage where I say, I accept these things. I, I accept the way things are. I mean, I'm still, I struggle still with the golf thing. I, I say, how do I get better? I want to, I want to be a little bit better. And it's not that, that, not that much easier to get better. So I think acceptance is really important. Relationships have always been important. My parents, that was what they were all about. They were, my mom used to say, I'd say, how does this business work? How does this store work? She said, well, people come in to buy a spool of thread and end up talking to me for 15 or 20 minutes. That's the essence of our business. It's, a, it's about relationships. It's not about greed. It's not about we want to, you know, we want to build it further and bigger and so forth. And I think that has affected the way I live my life is, yeah, I could have made more money. I could have done this differently. I, instead of four books, I could have written, written 14 books. I could have lived here instead of here and all this kind of stuff. But I've, accept, I've just accept more what, what is there. And I realize the value, the value more than anything, it's certainly, the value of my life is certainly not measured by business and career. For me, it's measured by the relationships. It's, it's measured by the relationships with my friends, the relationships with my family. That's what really has meaning to me. And it's probably something I do better than, than I do anything else. And I learned it from my parents. You build these relationships and you continue to build them. And yeah, if there's a business benefit, that's good. But it really has a value in itself. And that's how I continue to live. And it, part of it is just my insatiable curiosity about the people I have known. You know, And I think people that I have known that I end up finding and building a renewing a relationship with are very thankful that I'm that person that said, I'm really, Bill, I'm really glad you contacted me. I'm glad you stayed in touch. I'm glad that you didn't just go away. Because our natural tendency as we go on with our life is to leave the other life behind. But I feel that there's value in that. And the people you knew back then and have a great value. And that's, those are some of the things that, that are, that are valuable. And the other thing that, that I, you know, when people talk to me about retirement, I'm 71 years old. You can edit that out if you are appealing to a larger, <laughs> a younger audience, but you don't have to. And when people say, well, you know, why are you still working? The real answer is I'm not done. I'm not done writing. I'm not done creating. I'm not done. As long as people keep calling me, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to just stop. Part of it also is my dad retired at 55 and he said, he, you know, he, he was done. I don't think he really loved his work. I know he didn't love his work. And when he asked me, you want to take over the store? I said, no, immediately. It was just an immediate reaction. No. And I think the reason was, even then, I knew he didn't love it. Why would I love it? So I decided, based partially on that, 
is that I didn't want to retire. And now I've worked, you know, 15 plus years longer than him. And I have no real plan to retire. And it isn't about money. It's about ideas and new ideas. And that's what I've enjoyed. The fact that I've been able in my life to create something from nothing, the study skills, the networking, the sales, the sales stuff was more, the sales book was more like, I don't like all the books on sales and the way people have, have talked about sales. I felt that all the, a lot of the sales books I was reading were manipulative. It was like sales as tricking people into buying from you. And I didn't believe in that. So the book I wrote there was, you know, my original approach to it. So those, those are some of the things that, you know, kind of have led me to where I am and who I am. Amazing. Thank you for sharing. I've learned a lot of things, actually, that I didn't know. Uh, so that's, uh, that's always cool to, to learn more about your own father that I've known for my entire life. Um, let's go into the lightning round. So the lightning round is an opportunity for you to put yourself in a situation and really think, how would you handle that situation or answer a question about an emotion? So let's start with what excites you? I think new things excite me. I think uh, new friendships and new relationships excite me very much. I think uh, it, it, for me, it's all about relationships and that excites me. Um, learning things I didn't know. Great. What scares you? <laughs> Falling a long way scares me. <laughs> Matt, then I guess you'd say heights maybe scare okay. me. Okay. Okay. See, I didn't, I didn't know you were that scared of heights. But actually, that kind of makes sense. Um, what surprises you? Oh, I'm surprised all the time by things that that I expected to be different than what I thought they were. So I, I think, yeah, I think things surprise me when I have an expectation and something is very different. I, I guess that's, that's the way I think of it. Okay. What book have you recommended more than any other book and why? Mine. <laughs> Which book? <laughs> no, I think the one I recommended the most is probably Connecting Beyond the Name Tag. That's, that's my third book. And the other one that I've recommended is the one I mentioned, the golf book. That's the one I've recommended the most recently, and that is Golf is Not a Game of Perfect. And the reason I recommend that is because I think it, golf is kind of a metaphor for life. And learning about the psychological component, the psychological mechanisms behind being successful in a sport really apply to life. So I recommend it. I I don't necessarily recommend it to people who don't play golf, but anybody who plays golf and is interested in the psychology of it, I recommend that one. Yeah. And I really liked what you said. Golf is a metaphor for life in a lot of ways. So I think it can, even if you're not a golfer, I think you could really get value out of it. Who's been the most inspirational person in your life and why? My cousin, Dennis, he was quite a bit older than me. He, He died several years ago. His nickname was Bees and he was quite a bit older, older than me. He was born in 1936. So he would be, now he would be, he would be 83. And the reason he was so inspirational to me was, um, he kind of did some of the things that I didn't do. He was that professor for life. He was the guy that published a lot of stuff 
about his subject. He was an original thinker. He was a great guy. And he had a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. And humor, even though we haven't talked much about it, humor is probably um, more central to me than networking is, honestly. Humor is is at the core of, of who I am and what's important to me. And he had a, he had a great sense of humor. And I always, uh, I joke about this with my friends. If you Google my last name, our last name, Salibi, and you spell it that way, Dennis's name will always come up first. And I used to joke with him when he was still alive. Can't joke with him now. I'd say, damn it. I keep doing stuff. I write books. I do this. I do that. But you still come up before me on a Google search. So my goal in the time, because he can't do too much now to improve his standing. I can. But honestly, it couldn't happen to, if I were to be beaten by someone, couldn't happen to a better person. And his contribution, I mean, he, he was in the field of social work. And he, what he did, even though we were had very different fields, he, he specialized in a thing called the strengths perspective in social work. And what it did was it basically looked at social work and social welfare and focused on the strengths people have, not on the weaknesses. So that totally is consistent with my view. But I, I admired him for so many reasons. I, I think primarily um, his sense of humor and his intellect. And I also envied him because he was so damn tall. He was, <laughs> but he was a great guy and, and a great cousin and a great friend. So really what you're saying is you would love to be a tall teacher <laughs> who writes lots of books. Well, I, uh-huh. I've been a teacher. I don't I know the I call for a lot, but I won't be tall. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about strengths perspective. So I'm glad you brought it up because it is, it is a fascinating subject matter and one that really does apply beyond the scope of what he was meaning it for, because I think in life, in business, in general, when we do put more attention into our strengths and we double down, I like to say double down on our strengths, I think that's a recipe for success. So that's uh, that's really cool to hear that he's the the most inspirational person in your life. So if you could spend an hour with one person, living or dead, who would it be and why? I'll do Can I do two? There's no rules here. Okay. The famous person I'd want to do is uh, Carl Gustav Jung. And Carl Gustav Jung was uh, a contemporary of Freud's. And originally he and Freud were, you know, they, they knew each other and they had a very different approach. But Freud was had a very singular kind of approach to psychology. And Jung, he dabbled in all aspects. He dabbled in mythology, uh, symbolism, mysticism, astrology, all kinds of stuff. So I'd like to meet him. The other person I want to meet is my grandfather, Abraham Salibi. He was still alive when I was born, but I never met him because I was, I was two when he died. I would want to know why he left Lebanon and just who he was and what it was that drove him. One, to come to this country and just, just to learn about who he was. So those would be the, the two people. Very cool. So we've talked a little bit about this, but let's, let's, let's dive one more time into it. Do you have any regrets in life? And if so, what are they? I'd say the, the only regrets I have would be some things I might have said that I shouldn't have said. But overall, I don't regret 
things because I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't be who I am today if all those things had happened. So I don't really have regrets. I mean, I could say I, I regret getting the divorce, but if I didn't get the two divorces, then I wouldn't be here with my partner of, of 21 years, Judy. So I don't regret that. Um, the things I said, I don't think were terrible, you know, terrible things, but some of the things maybe I said, and certainly I regret being critical when I shouldn't have been critical. And I think I, I believe I am less critical now. I may be critical in my head, but I won't say so. I'm, I'm more in control of what I say. For example, criticism of my son. Oh, <laughs> um, I, you know, I probably, I regret some of that, but I think I look at it and I say, we do stuff like that when, when we're younger and we, you know, we, it's just impulse rather than controlling that impulse. But I'd say being critical and I, but I've learned from that. So I don't really regret it. I think it's, it's led me to learn from it. Right. Who you are today. That makes, that makes sense. Okay. When was the last time you cried and why? Not that long ago. When I think of people who died, for example, my, my friend Lou, Lou Markert, I'll cry. And that wasn't that long ago. Lou was a, Lou was a friend of mine. I met at UCLA best friend. Not only was he my best friend, but he saved me a lot of money on psychotherapy because he was, he was so skillful, such a great listener and so skilled. He knew me so well and so skillful, not the same as paying a therapist, but provided that plus humor and just could talk with him forever. So I think that was a great loss. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Who are your greatest mentors and, and what did you learn from them? My parents. I really learned that people are the most important thing, not money, not products, not, not possessions, not status. It's people. And both of them had that. And that was why their store was successful. Relationships. I mean, when I, I'll post something on Facebook, maybe about my parents' store or something like that. I happen to have a lot of Facebook friends, and a lot of them are from Pasadena, where I grew up. And they always, I always get a barrage of responses of how great the store was and how great my parents were. I'm a lucky guy to have had a good life and had parents that loved me. I don't have this, you know, sad, oh, my childhood was, oh, my childhood was good. I mean, the worst thing about my childhood is my older sisters picked on me. (laughs) But again, do I regret that? No, it made me who I am. Absolutely. It made me... You know, and they did. They they somehow resented me and picked <laughs> on me and criticized me. You were the spoiled youngest child. I was the spoiled. <laughs> they thought that. I never thought I was. They thought I was. Who you know? What situation? Who's right in that situation? I think I'm going to side with them, but uh, yeah, but yeah, well, but uh, doesn't excuse them uh, picking on you. So my parents were they were great mentors in terms of human relationships. My mom was also a great mentor in terms of the importance of education and the importance of knowledge. Dad, less so. Dad, that wasn't how dad was was wired. He was certainly, neither of them went to college. I was the first one in my family who went to college. I'm proud of that. You know, it wasn't that difficult, but it was certainly something I accomplished and did. But I think it was mainly, I don't think I would have written a book, two books on networking if I hadn't had the kind of parents I had who kind of nurtured that before networking was probably a word that was ever used. 
Yeah. Well, they are two great mentors and having the privilege to get to know them, I can see why they uh, were such uh, important mentors for you. So as you look back on your life, you have a lot to be proud of. Of all the achievements you've had in your life, which are you most proud of? I would say being a parent and being an uncle and being a friend. I, 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 I'm, you know, yeah, I'm proud of getting a PhD, but I'm proud of having written books. But I'm more proud of the fact that I'm that I've been good at relationships, both family relationships and friend relationships. And I can sleep well at night because I because those things overall are very good. The neg the downside of that is you hurt more when one of those people dies or one of those people moves or something like that. But that's what I'm most proud of. The relationships and the love. Yeah. Okay. So we've learned a lot about you. And I'm sure there's um, a lot of people who gained insight into who you are as a human being and, and what has helped you become the person you are. What may surprise the audience that's been listening about you that they haven't yet heard? Well, I, I've kind of alluded to some of my own insecurities, some of my own, like I wanted to be this, but I wasn't that. I don't know that that would surprise people. One of the things I said is how important humor is. I think that might surprise people. If I said humor is more important to me than almost anything, honestly, that may surprise some people. I think people who see me as highly accomplished, you know, people who may have met me as being one of my students or somebody who went to a book signing. They, maybe, call, you, they call you Dr. Bill. They call me Dr. Bill or Dr. Salibi would be surprised at my maybe lack of you know, feeling that I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish uh, as much. So I think that may surprise some people. I think for some people who have met me in one realm would be surprised at the other realm. So if somebody, so for example, the other day I was, I was uh, in a move, a meeting, I was going to move a, a company and I met with the guy whose company it was. And I realized that he's in a provisor's group that I'm going to be speaking at as Dr. Salibi, the networking expert, I think he may be surprised when he says, well, the moving guy, why, why is, is he the guy that's actually going to be speaking? Yeah, <laughs> same guy. So I think for some people, it's that duality where they're going, they've known you in one respect that they didn't. And I think that's surprised a lot of people when you, when you have other things you do that they didn't expect you did. That I think that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest surprise. Now there's other things like, you know, like that I played high school football in the Rose Bowl. That's more like just a one, one shot kind of deal. That you take daily naps. Well, <laughs> I mean, that, that's another example. You know, naps are now acceptable more. But years ago, people, if you told people you were taking a nap, they'd go, well, you're a loser. You're, you're lazy. You know, you got to, you know, you're napping. You should be working. Part of what I attribute to my success is naps. You know, you it's it's a it's a it allows me to be productive for a, another part of the day. That it, if I just didn't do that, I I may be not productive. So right, and you and you wake up at an exceptionally early hour, very so, early. So most people are uh, just hitting their rim by the time you're uh, waking up. So. That's right. So last question, sort of an open-ended question. What else? Anything else you want to share? Well, first of all, thank you for doing this. I, I love doing, there's a lot of fun doing. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting. You're my son. People know that by listening to this. 
what's interesting is this has been one of the most intense conversations we've ever had in our lives. It's been the mo- one of the most focused conversations we've ever had. And I think that's, that's really interesting. Uh, and by the way, we've had a lot of good. Oh, <laughs> lot, yes. It's not like we don't have a relationship. Oh, we to, got a great relationship. To be clear. Oh yeah. We have a great relationship. When people ask me, what is your relationship with your son? I say, it's fantastic. The only other thing is kind of where, where I'm going with all this, where I'm going with things now is the, the things I'm working on now exclusive of what we talked about is now I'm writing what I told myself after writing the books I've written, but they're all pretty much how-to books, is I don't know that I'm going to write another book, but I know I don't really want another write another how-to. So what I'm writing now are vignettes. I'm writing vignettes about people, about cir- circumstances, about situations, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. So basically, it never ends. I'm not done. I'm continuing to do stuff. And as far as the networking thing, there's not one way to do it. My my approach to it is certainly not you got to do it this way or this way or this way. I very believe really strongly and there's a lot of different ways to go about it. It has a lot of different looks to it and but it the value is intrinsic. Doesn't really if you get business that's great, but it's really the value of the relationships and the richness of the relationships. My life is infinitely richer because of my world in networking. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of business about it, out of it, but it's really the relationships, the friendships, the breadth of the relationships that has really enriched my life. And I hope that I've enriched other people's lives in the process. Well, Dr. Bill, also known as Dad, uh, I also probably call you Doc more than anything else. It's been an amazing conversation. Uh, I really appreciate the time that we spent together and your thoughtful answers about the insights that you've had, about your approach to networking, your learnings through your life. I said it at the beginning of the show that I owe you a tremendous debt of gratitude for helping me become the person that I am. And hopefully everyone got to learn something from you today that will help them in their lives as a human being, as a professional when it all all said and done, I think for me, the number one takeaway I have from this conversation is it really is all about the people and the connections that we make and the relationships we build. And that's a pretty important insight to to really understand and to embrace and to live in our lives. Well, thank you, Billy. And by the way, you did a great job of allowing me to to share all of this information. It it wouldn't have happened if you asked, you know, if your questions weren't good and probing and very, very good. I have one other question for you is how much do I make doing this? <laughs> your royalty check will be in the mail. So okay. and speaking of which, if you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can at Patreon and uh that'll help us uh keep the lights on. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, we do appreciate that. Other than that, thank you for listening. We appreciate, you know, the time that you spent with us on this journey today. And Doctor, Doc, Dad, I appreciate you and I love you. Love you too, son. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. 
Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Ah, ah, ah.